Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. Jean England was one who liked to ask hard questions. Has it changed now for the church? Is it easier to ask hard questions? We'll talk about that with Terrell Givens. He's the author and biographer of, of Stretching the Heavens, The Life and Times of Eugene England. So you'll definitely want to check it out. And if you don't have this book, check it out. Um, also, I'm giving away a free copy of The God Who Weeps. Um, it's autographed by Terrell Givens. So if you'd like this book, sign up to gospeltangents.com slash Terrell, T-E-R-R-Y-L, and you could win an autographed copy. I'll be drawing that soon, so sign up today. Is it okay to ask hard questions in the LDS Church? I think it is now. Uh, I, I think it is. Um, uh, I, I have had experience working uh, as a consultant with the Church History Department on a number of projects. And the very direct and explicit uh, instructions and feedback that I was party to um, with the brethren was unambiguously be honest, get it all out, and there isn't any topic which we are not uh, comfortable addressing. Uh, to my mind, there was a, a watershed talk. It didn't precipitate a watershed change, but there was a watershed talk given in 2016 by Elder Ballard, President Ballard, uh, to the CES educators. I think it was the most important talk given in my lifetime, uh, which sounds like overstatement, but I don't think it is, uh, because in that talk he effectively said we have, we have not succeeded as church educators in preparing our young people for the challenges of this particular moment. We need to rethink um, how we engage those tough questions. And he was very direct and very explicit. He said a testimony is not an answer to a question. That in and of itself is uh, a revolutionary kind of recognition an admonition, it seems to me, to church educators to say we have to honor and dignify and validate genuine questions and, and not skirt them or avoid them. He also said if you don't have the answer to a question, then go to a church historian or an expert in the field who does. So this is the first time that I have heard the church acknowledge that intellectuals are not the enemy of the church, but they can be powerful assets to the church and, and to a life of faith. And so uh, I, I, I couldn't have been happier to hear those words. They don't seem to have filtered uh, all the way throughout our culture and educational system. I'm glad you say that because I had a conversation with a seminary teacher in my stake. And uh, I asked him what he thought specifically of people like you, Paul Reeve. And, and he was like, you know, they're a little edgy. <laughs> so you're too edgy for... Yeah, and I, certainly Eugene England was too, and I kind of want to tie that back because while I appreciate the Elder Ballard talk, one of the problems with it is, you know, we've heard about it, people, people in the Mormon history community have heard about it, but it, as you said, it was to CES employees, it wasn't to the general That's church, right. yeah, yeah. and so it's kind of hidden a little bit. And, and even I know Eugene England, he would give some talks or some of his uh, or articles and things to Bruce R. McConkie and Elder Packer, and they pushed back pretty hard against it. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, there's no question that um, arising out of a legacy of misrepresentation 
and uh, opposition and hostility by the government and by most cultural institutions in the United States, that the church history department began with a kind of fortress mentality. I, I don't think anybody would deny that, that we were extremely protective. We sanitized um, uh, our history in ways that avoided discussion of, you know, things like the Mountain Meadows Massacre or um, other aspects of our history that didn't uh, depict us in the best light. And I think there were, there were good historical explanations for that attitude and that defensiveness. And I think that the church has very deliberately and self-consciously and methodically brought us into a better engagement with our history in all of those ways that I have mentioned. Um, Jean England was, was prescient in the sense that his principal concern was a reaction to his recognition, having worked in the church historical department, his recognition that there are narratives in our past that come into conflict, there are doctrinal views that have been espoused by individual leaders that are in conflict, and that as we move forward into this data-rich information age, our young people are going to become more and more aware of these discontinuities and, and, and conflicts. His primary motivation was to think through some of these problems and perplexities and, and work towards greater engagement and his favorite word, dialogue with these. And uh, the church wasn't ready to move in that direction in 1975-1980, and they have since. But his concerns, his alarm, turned out to be absolutely, as I said, prescient and has, has been validated insofar as the church has embraced exactly that course of action which he was pleading for the church to embrace, which was acknowledge, engage, dialogue, uh, confront, um, these questions and, and these problems. And I think, the, the, as I said, the kind of the formal manifesto of that new attitude would be Elder Ballard's talk. Now, he gave it to the CES educators, and I think that that was the right audience because that's right, they're the kind of the intellectual the custodians <laughs> of the church. They're the ones who, who needed to hear it. And right, they had a mandate from J. Reuben Clark going back to the mid 1930s, right, the, chart, the charted course of church education, which uh, very explicitly advocated kind of keeping the realms of the secular and the sacred separate. And our job as church educators is not to engage the world of scholarship and learning, but it's to, it's to foster testimony and faith. And that was appropriate uh, and worked for a while. And then Elder Ballard said, we're in a new age, and that isn't the model we need anymore. So I took him to be saying, we're shifting gears because of new conditions, new challenges, new access to information, as well as a genuinely new understanding on the part of a historical department that has done much more work excavating and working through sources that weren't widely available or accessible uh, in earlier times. So 
I think part of what we have to do is, is move beyond this kind of caricature of a bunch of old men in smoke-filled rooms conspiring. What are we going to let out this week, right? As if right, all of these documents were in a vault and they let them out one by one, right? Well, the, the apostles aren't historians and that isn't their primary responsibility. And so I don't think that there was any kind of nefarious scheming behind the, scheme, the scenes to keep all of this stuff hidden. Uh, we're, we're discovering stuff every day as we, as we work through these rich, rich resources we have. I know in your book you talked a little bit about an issue between Elder McConkie and Eugene England. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that's probably the most famous conflict um, that uh, erupted in, in the public. In the late 1970s, he uh, gave a talk uh, in which he brought into dialogue uh, a certain view of God represented by uh, Hiram Smith and Joseph Fielding Smith. Eugene England Smith. did this. Yeah, yes, Eugene England did this, uh, which emphasized the absoluteness of God in fairly conventional theistic terms with a competing vision of God that he associated with the King Follett discourse of Joseph Smith uh, and many subsequent elaborators all the way through B.H. Roberts, uh, that God is progressing, developing, expanding his dominions. And so this is, this is to my mind, Exhibit A. It's, it's the, the best example of the problems, the challenges that Gene England saw and how he thought they should be addressed. So instead of trying to silence or deny one or the other half of this kind of bifurcation and thinking about God, he tried to bring them into, into, into conversation and suggest how they both could be true, how we could, we could make sense out of, we could reconcile both of them. Uh, he gave this talk to a small audience who was asked to give it again in the Varsity Theater, um, by which time Joseph uh, McConkie got wind of it. Um, I, he he had, uh, saw a copy, an advanced copy of... He was Bruce's son, right? Bruce's, Bruce R. McConkie's son. And to Gene England's credit, he invited um, Professor McConkie to come and to provide a response, which uh, he did with very little grace, <laughs> uh, in very dogmatic, authoritarian, and uh, insulting terms. He decried what uh, Gene England had said as uh, heresy and unfaithful to our tradition. Um, and uh, shortly thereafter, Elder McConkie um, himself made public criticism on two occasions, once at BYU and once at a general conference, without mentioning Gene by name, but he referred to the, the notion of a pro progressing God as one of the seven heresies of the church. And uh, the, the, uh, he wrote a letter to Gene England in which he uh, made this known to Gene that he saw what he was saying and writing as heretical and uh, insisted that he cease and desist. That letter was leaked to the public, not by Gene. It was leaked to the public before he even got his copy of it. And so that is what made it a kind of public, um, it went viral, right, as we would say today. <laughs> did Joseph McConkie release it, or do we have any idea who did? We don't know, but I mean, there were two factions, and it wasn't, it wasn't Gene England or his partisans who, who released it. And so, uh, look, given the fact that it uh, was an embarrassing and, and in some ways humiliating 
um, uh, assault on Jean and his ideas and efforts, uh, it seems clear that it was released by somebody who was sympathetic to the critics of his position. And the whole thing was just, a, it, was a, it was an unnecessary tragedy because, uh, right, Jean wasn't teaching as doctrine, he wasn't proclaiming a solution, he was just saying, let's acknowledge these two traditions, these two positions, and let's see if we can't see them as somehow reconcilable. So I think it was a pure-hearted effort, and uh, it redounded to his discredit, and I think uh, it was hard for him ever to subsequently divest himself of that label. Of, of a liberal? Of heretic, liberal, provocateur, okay. um, because certainly the weight of orthodoxy in the church at that time uh, was, uh, was pretty much going to align itself with anything that bore the name of McConkie, um, and, that's, and that's certainly what happened at that time. Yeah, I can't imagine being spoken about in general conference. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what, again, one of the beautiful things about Gene is that his children would later attest that never once in their hearing did he utter the slightest word of criticism or negativism about Elder McConkie or any of the brethren. And that he even, even in his journal, even after these events, he referred to Elder McConkie and others as his heroes. Uh, so he, he was an incredibly meek man in that, in that regard, at least, it seems to me. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Terrell Gibbons. In our next conversation, we're going to revisit the topic of atonement theories. Did that topic get Eugene England in trouble? I have a copy of the response that he received from Elder Maxwell. And the way I would summarize it would be to say, Gene, love your article. The only fault I can find with it is none of it's true. <laughs> Not exactly those words, but that was, that was the essence. He just said he wasn't so sure that it was true. We don't have, I, don't, I couldn't find a copy of Elder Packer's response, but we know that it was negative. Thanks for listening to Gospel Tangents. If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, please subscribe at patreon.com slash gospeltangents. You can hear the entire interviews there. Also, check out our new, improved, uh, user-friendly website at gospeltangents.com. We've made it much more user-friendly, so check that out. Click here to subscribe, here for a transcript, and over here we've got more of our great videos. Thanks again.